Hey Zwifters, I'm Simon Schofield and this is a special episode of the Zwiftcast. This one is dedicated to a conversation with John Mayfield, the creator of Zwift. There's plenty of news within it about the development of the platform, which I'm sure Zwifters will find fascinating. There's also some stuff about John the man, the cyclist and the programmer. Equally interesting. I hope you agree. So sit back and eavesdrop on my long chat with John, which we recorded at Zwift HQ in Long Beach. John, welcome to Zwickast. Um, I'm going to start with a hopefully fairly easy question. What sort of cyclist are you, John? Which tribe do you belong to? I used to be part of the sort of hardcore solo cyclist. So maybe, uh, you know, my favorite type of ride would have been eight-hour ride in the countryside or up in the hills. Uh, and often I would train for a, a century or a double century ride in Death Valley. Those are sort of my favorite events of the year. Kind of interesting, I the ride by myself. It's my way to get away from from uh, the stresses of real life. And, and Death Valley is a really good way to, to get away from everybody. Now I'm a little bit less hardcore. I'm more probably the casual enthusiast. So riding miles have gone way down. I sp- I spread my time between cycling and running much more. I enjoy both in balance. So it's more like 50 miles a week cycling and maybe 10 to 20 miles a week of running. There are rumors you're a triathlete. Are they true? So when I swim, my head is above the water the whole time. Uh, you know, if it wasn't for swimming, I probably would be a, a triathlete. I'm certainly that that uh, of that mindset where I like to have my own goals and uh, hit my own targets and very self-motivated. It's fairly well known you you kind of come from the games industry, but could you just give us a little bit more detail on that? Just give me a a, a brief potted history of your career. Well, I started doing graphics uh, in high school when I was probably 16 or 17, and, and I started doing graphics because I was into video games. That was what got me into programming in general, just playing you know, probably Super Nintendo games at the time and just being amazed that people could make such a thing. So I you know, asked my dad how people make these magical things that we're buying at, at, uh, at the store. And uh, we went to the bookstore together, bought a book, got into programming, and a couple years later, I just applied to video game companies, um, kind of bypassing college, and uh, started at a place called Iguana, and we did uh, South Park for the Nintendo 64. Uh, then I went on to a, a game some people might have heard of called Turok, the Dinosaur Hunter. It was a you know million seller back on the N64. Uh, and later Xbox and PlayStation. Later on, I moved to LA, worked on PlayStation Portable titles, a game called Ratchet and Clank. There was another one called Jack and Daxter, both very big, popular games uh, in the Sony world. Then I went on to do to apply video game tech to um, future ideas, like in a think tank, which was a really interesting place to work at. So some of the contracts might be we kind of rethunk how the the flight controllers might work at an airport and uh, using VR technology, using uh, augmented reality, using live data streams from all the planes that are flying around. Uh, and it was very much video game tech applied to non-gaming uh, situations. Um, so you know, that was one of the more interesting projects I worked at there. And then that is where I worked right before 
we um, we all founded Swift. So while I was doing some of this FAA stuff and uh, other other tech that the army was interested in, uh, I was doing this bike side project using my my experience um, to try to gamify my my training over the the winter here in California where it's slightly nippy for a couple hours in the morning. <laughs> but, you know. And the, the rest of the story about, about the development of Zwift is, 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 is reasonably well known, so I'm, I'm not going to dwell on it here. So here's a question from, kind of a bit from left field, actually. I've heard you drive a Tesla, is that true? I do. I found a, uh, a used Model S, and uh, it, was at, it was at a price I could deal with. So I drive a Tesla. It is charged by solar panels on my roof. It's very uh, Californian, I think. <laughs> I'm quite interested in the reason why people buy Teslas. Did, did you buy a Tesla because it was a good car or because you sort of believe in the whole electric car thing? Okay, so I'm a car guy. I would buy Mustangs, Camaros, Corvettes, you know, American muscle cars, and was way into uh, modifying them, you know, pulling out camshafts, polishing the ports on the cylinder heads. Like I actually have a big website that gets over a million views a, a year just on how to modify these cars. It's still active today. I'm, it's sort of the definitive guide to, to modifying some of these Camaro and Corvette engines. I've been, you know, I've been to the drag strip hundreds of times in my life. I've done more street races than I'll ever admit to. It's, it was a long time ago that I used to do that. Because of Los Angeles traffic, I ended up buying a hybrid car about five years ago. It's a Chevy Volt. It's electric for 40 miles, then it switches to gas. And I bought it because it gives you access to the carpool lanes in Los Angeles. So it's just a way to have a shorter commute in Los Angeles. That car is the best car I've ever owned. After years of being a car guy, like seeing how this electric technology worked and uh, feeling the torque and the silence and the cleanliness of it all. And the fact that I didn't have to go to gas stations anymore. I mean, it was, it was getting a thousand miles a gallon or something at some point because I barely ever used the gas. It converted me. And now, after a few years of driving a Volt, when I saw tailpipes, it looked, it reminded me of like horse-drawn carriages, right? Like that's, you just see the smoke coming out. And like as a cyclist, often I'm riding on the shoulder of the road, breathing all this crap that's coming out of the tailpipes. So I, I knew there was no going back. I didn't buy a Tesla because it's it's a good car. I don't actually believe it's that good of a car. Um, it's it's a new car company. It's got new car company problems. I see a lot of parallels between Tesla and Swift. Mm. Right? They're both growing, mm. and you know there's obvious areas for improvement. Mm. And we can you know we can do what we can do. People love both the space, people love we'll the the product. I think in both mm. cases, and you know they will deal with the the issues and you know in both cases the companies are trying to make the thing better all the time but i bought it because i wanted to be i wanted to have a clean car and also i wanted to go back to my car guy roots and actually have some fun and it, it is uh ludicrous <laughs> the acceleration yeah um is this your dream job well i've combined video gaming with cycling and with programming and those are kind of three if somehow we could get car performance in there like maybe that would be even better but no i think this is pretty much the the dream situation and i, I think we've also built a company where the where everybody likes to work here and so it's kind of rewarding in that way as well which i wasn't expecting um, at the beginning, I was just thinking like, well, you know, I'm doing the things I like and it, you know, other people seem to be enjoying the output. 
cool, I'm on a free ride. But now that now there's all the you know, Zwift is getting bigger, and uh, it's neat to see that we're also providing a, a good place for people to to contribute and and uh, the users appreciate everybody's work, right? I mean, it's customer service and uh, QA. I feel like everybody's appreciated a little bit on, you know, you see it on the Facebook groups. You've got members all across the company communicating with users just directly. So, I'm, you know, yes, it's my dream job. It's my dream job. Yes. I've got down on my list of questions here, is Zwift a, a phenomenon? And that's such a stupid question because it, it is a phenomenon. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Has its trajectory surprised you? A little bit. Um, it's less surprising each day, but um, at the beginning I was thinking like, it'd be really cool if we could get 10,000 people to try ever. Like, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a skeptic uh, and that's kind of what I'm known as at, at the company. So whereas uh, Eric is the dreamer, I try to bring my side of things and, and uh, often my numbers are much smaller than what Eric predicts. But, you know, it surprised me more and more for the first couple of years. And now I see that this is um, obviously there's a there's a solid market for what we're doing. And I think there's a lot of areas we could we could expand into. I mean, we've got clearly there was a lot more hardcore cyclists out there than I had anticipated, um, which is probably why I was a bit skeptical at first. Right. I was more of a solo cyclist. Eric comes from the world where it's just like all of his buddies are you know, cyclist from 20 years ago. So he had a he had a pretty good feel on that. But these days, you know, I get it. I see the people. I know the, the demographics, uh, you know, bring it on. <laughs> What's the thing that Zwift has done that makes you most proud? One of the things we've done that makes me proud is that we didn't we didn't use kid gloves on our treatment of exercise in video games. It's one of the things that's bugged me about fitness video games for the past 30 years. I mean, the idea is not new, right? What we're doing is not that, uh, it's not groundbreaking. It's just powering a game with, with exercise. But historically, it's been very soft. It's like, you know, you're standing in one place, stepping up and down and trying to burn a couple calories to move a little guy on the screen. And, you know, track and field, you're just standing in one place, moving your feet up and down. And it's not real exercise. And there's Wii Fit that came out later. Again, you're just standing on a board. There's some dancing games where you might break a sweat. But this is, you know, this is real training that we're doing and real exercise. And I think we've shown that we can have a real piece of fitness software that uses video game tech. And so I, I think I'm kind of proud that we've, we've proven that um, is a thing that can exist in the world and should exist. You've gone for the full fat version, not the semi-skimmed. Yeah, we didn't water it down. I mean, you know, we're outputting data files with real data in it. We're trying, you know, you're going to burn a thousand calories in an, you know, an hour and 10 minutes on Zwift and an hour and 10 minutes on a Wii Fit might be 100 calories, right? So are you willing to confess to a bad decision? I only want one. Hmm, we might have to come back to that one. I'm going to think about it. Yeah. All management teams disagree from time to time it's part of the process um and it's part of the process that contributes to to creative decision making are you willing to talk about a recent issue that's caused disagreement amongst the management team and tell us how it was resolved i think some of the conflicts um which are going to be in any business often come between product and 
marketing. Marketing needs things to talk about and you know get the word out about Zwift and also try to, to get partners involved, other companies, and have them have a reason to talk about us. Sometimes the the ideas that are that are thrown about, I feel like, come in a bit heavy-handed from the product side, and we might be, you know, maybe there's too strong of branding here or there. Uh, so, for example, one idea that that may or may not have come up is like, hey, there's a, you know, a grand tour coming up, and it's 21 days. Let's try to do a partnership with them. Have Zwift users ride all 21 days, and you know, unlock unlock a thing. And from a user standpoint, that. It, you know, in the middle of the summer when it might be nice to ride outside, it doesn't feel like, from my standpoint, it didn't feel like the right thing to do to try to encourage people to not go ride their bike outside when the weather is nice. And like 21 days in a row is a bit of a, a bit of a stretch. It certainly would have been a good thing for the, the marketing partners, but you know, in the end, often we can come up with a solution that works for everybody. And so there, there's those kind of discussions that happen quite a bit, right? It's trying to find the right balance and, uh, respect the product, respect the partnerships we have, and, and figure out the solution. That is my responsibility, is to kind of help come up with something that works for the product and the users, as well as the, the marketing needs and, you know, yeah. yes, that's me. Every keen Zwifter knows who you are, for those very few who don't, you, you invented the game and you still make all the major creative decisions. Um, but generally, within the community, you keep a, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to quibble with this description, but you keep a relatively low profile. I mean, you're not invisible by any means, but you do keep a relatively low profile in the community. Um, why, why have you chosen that course? And I'm actually judging by the look on your face. I think you're going to say you're not low profile at all. But compared to some in the company, you are. Compared to... Eric Min, uh, a lot of people are low profile, yes. Uh, so it's, I, I read a lot of what's out there. I, I read probably every forum post we have on our website. I try to read almost everything that's on the major Facebook groups. Uh, I try not to get involved with everything because I just, I can't, right? I, I have a lot of responsibilities uh, day to day, including making the, making the game better. Uh, so it's only out of necessity that I try not to get uh, to it. In. Yeah, but I do try to keep a pulse uh, on everything there. And every night I probably spend 20, 30 minutes just reading what what is new, just to keep track of it. I, I well, my personal Facebook, I probably spend two minutes a day on there. I'm not I'm not a big social media person. Interesting. And we're going to talk about interaction with the community a, a little bit more as. As, as we get on, but I, I want to get on to some things that have been raised on social media by people who knew that I was going to be coming to Swift and, and asked me if, they, if, if certain questions could be asked. Um, I mean, there is intense interest in how Swift will develop on, in the medium term and in the next kind of six weeks, you know, or even the next six days. I mean, it's such an engaged community. And one of the things that a lot of people in the community ask a lot of the time is, why don't you have a public, publicly available roadmap? Or is that just, particularly as we've seen a couple of rivals to Zwift pop up, is that just commercial suicide? Can you just not do that? I don't think it's commercial suicide, but I don't think it's a good idea because the roadmap changes all the time. 
I can go back and look at a roadmap that we had internally two years ago and half the things came to be, half the things got pushed. And there's a whole new set of things that we did instead. So once you put it out there, people are going to start to get upset when it changes. But would they, John? I mean, to, to be honest, you've been dealing with a relatively sophisticated user base here. And you are, you know, nobody w- would say that if you put a roadmap out with a couple of qualifiers on it, that it was written in blood and carved in stone, and definitely every single thing on it would happen. I mean, is it not a sophisticated, an audience sufficiently sophisticated to understand that not everything on a roadmap always happens as promised by Datex? I think, I think a lot of people understand that, that things would change, but uh, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of positive that can come out of sharing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's really what it boils down. There's a lot of companies that you just will have no idea what they're going to be doing in three months. And we, you know, I don't think it's uncommon for, for companies not to publish a roadmap. No, it's not. But, but Zwift isn't a common company. And there are not many companies who have such an engaged relationship with their community. I think we're more transparent than most. I mean, you can see that we're going to probably do running. We've started talking about Apple TV as well. Um, but we started talking about those things once we knew that they were actually going to, to come out. We could have talked about Apple TV a year ago. It's been running here at Zwift for a year, but we didn't because we just we have to allocate our resources very carefully. And we'd started talking about it a year ago uh, heavily. We probably might have mentioned it here or there, but if we'd started talking about it heavily, like by now there would just be almost cynicism about when is it ever going to come out. It'd be a joke in itself or like, it would almost be like, um, if you're familiar with gaming, there's this game called, well, potentially there's a game called Half-Life 3 that might come out someday. Right? People have been talking about it for 10 years and it's become kind of a, a meme in itself. Uh, you know, I don't want features to, to become like that. And even, you know, even when we started pushing out our Apple TV beta notifications just a couple of weeks ago, like people are already sort of like, okay, when is it? We, you start to see the email volumes ramp up. You said this was coming. Is it, is it today or tomorrow or like next week? So... The easiest way is to say nothing. We say a little bit um, to try to, to help people out. And, and often we, we throw people like yourself uh, a hint here or there and, you know, <laughs> can speculate from there. You, do, you don't throw many bones in my direction, John, I have to say. Um, I was very struck by a contribution you made to a group saying that you'd conducted a load of market research on how much people wanted long climbs based on the famous climbs of the Tour de France, the Alpe d'Huez, the Galibiers, all, all those kinds of things. And you've got the market research back and it said loads of people wanted it and then you completely ignored it because it didn't fit in with your instincts. And I wondered, um, as you know, how that affects the prioritization of feature requests from the community. How often are you prepared to ignore what people say they want because you're convinced you're right? That's interesting. So th- this doesn't come up very often. It's, it's most of the time what people might say they want lines up exactly what we thought they were going to want. In, in this case, when I started building the software uh, for myself six or seven years ago, long before it was ever called Zwift, my entire goal was to make a simulator for climbing Mount Baldy here in California, right. which is 
I don't I don't know what it is. It's like 21 miles from the base to the top, and you're basically climbing the entire 21 miles. I did some of that, and it was one of the things I tried early on was this like long climb that was going to kind of simulate Mount Baldy. And I hopped on, and it you know first 30 minutes or 20 minutes, I thought oh, this is kind of it's kind of cool, but the graphics are moving very slowly because I'm going four miles an hour up this uh, steep climb, and uh, I'm not feeling the same achievement that you do in real life when you're going up a mountain. I'm not getting the real life views of the city off in the distance and feeling that that effect of being on top of a mountain. And so the the experience, to be honest, it sucked, right? It's not a good experience. And it's what I thought I wanted. That's what I was convinced. Like I want to get better at Mount Baldy was my goal. And I can see other people they want to you know try a, a giant climb in in France to see what it's like. But it's not you're not really going to see what it's like. It's a it's an awful indoor experience. So after that, I was doing uh, more fun, fun things, right? Collecting coins. I was trying all sorts of stuff. I was riding around collecting various coins in a in a lost forest or something with a timer countdown, and those were way more fun. I wouldn't have thought originally that that's what I wanted to build because I was sort of a serious cyclist. So I was pretty in this case. I was pretty convinced that people just didn't know what they could have, and maybe they were. You know, I, I have no doubt that people would try it once and maybe they would try it once a year, you know, but I don't think that it would be, I don't think we would get the benefit if we built a thing like that out day to day. I think it would just be like a special occasion sort of map. So, I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, that, that, that certainly matches, matches my experience, which is, you know, summarized by long climbs are boring on trainers. I mean, you know, they just are for all kinds of reasons, but. I mean, you're obviously willing to ignore kind of market research or what people say that they think that they want in certain areas. Does that extend to a completely autocratic approach when the 899th million person puts in the same feature request? The original survey was done before Zwift existed. But people had no idea. They were just, what would you, you know, the question was something like, what would you like to see on an indoor training software. Now I think if we ask the question, and we have since, we get much lower hits on those because people can now see what's fun. If they've done the epic KOM in Zwift, they probably understand like, okay, maybe I don't want three more hours of that <laughs> continued on, right? It's like, it wouldn't be that. Obviously, there's people out there that would love that. But yeah, it's like I said, it's not common that, that we get outlier responses. It's most of the market research now is about uh, what kind of cyclist are you and, and uh, what can we do to better serve you. And often, almost always, the answers are things that are already on our super secret roadmap that <laughs> you'll never see. <laughs> Until it's ready. Um, how do you feel about the endless torrent of ideas for improvements to the game from people who think they know better than you? Hey, the ideas are great. So. It's funny, we sat down, when we first formed the company years ago, the four co-founders sat in a room and we talked about it for a week. We rented an Airbnb and just sat and, and talked. And uh, to this day, it still feels like 75% of all the ideas that come up, we talked about in that first week. I mean, it's, we're not, this isn't rocket science, right? It's cycling game. You can sort of figure out all the obvious things you might want. Um, so most of the time, like 
I welcome the feedback and I sort of consider it as a vote for that feature, right? And when enough votes happen for a feature, it might move up the list. If I feel that they're like authentic votes and not just farming for votes on Facebook. And so, I mean, we listen, we try to to reprioritize things as we as we can. But there's not, it's like, it's like once every 90 days that we might hear something that we hadn't thought, thought about. Will Watopia ever be finished? Hmm, it, it might, but I can't imagine when that would be. It, w- it would only be finished if we came up with something that was even better than Watopia and decided to move on, kind of, uh, you know, Watopia would be the new Jarvis, potentially. Uh, but the goal for Watopia, which I, I think I've mentioned before, is just have it sort of be the anchor map for the, the core experience. And, you know, I'd love to be able to do one of those, you know, 100-mile rides and never see the same thing twice. You know, I want to do my weekend long rides in the winter and have a little adventure in the, you know, in the world of Watopia with thousands of other people. So current, uh, current plan is no, it'll be around quite a long time. And will continue to evolve. For sure. Do courses based on real life work well? They work well for, I think, a shorter period of time. I think they have a, a shorter shelf life. What, you mean you mean they might be Richmond might be retired. Just picking oh, sure. an example out there. Sure. Yeah, any any map I think um, could get retired. But you know, to one of your previous questions about um, weighing the the needs of getting the message out there about what Swift is and balancing it with balancing it with what the product becomes. You know, Richmond is a good example, right? Partnering with the UCI and having them talk about Swift and having the real course there is a good thing that we can talk about to the public, get the word out, say like, hey, there's this cool thing called Swift. You can try the, the world's course on it. That's great. And so it had a lot of benefit there, but the, the downside in the, in the product is that it's not the coolest, most exciting map that we could make. London, I think, is more in between. I think it's exciting that it's London. It's a big city. I think a lot of cyclists from around the world would want to ride in London just because it's London. Uh, but it, you know, it, it's more in the middle. It's like there was uh, some reasons to, to talk about it uh, from a marketing standpoint and also some reasons to enjoy it as a user. Watopia is purely about the user experience. It's like if we could do whatever we want and make try to make the perfect length climb or the most interesting looking thing on the screen um, during a flat section like an underwater tunnel for example then we do it and there's no restrictions whatsoever there's no agenda uh, and so we enjoy building those parts out anyway real world courses I think have a place but we probably will try to keep them live a little bit less and uh, cycle them through and they might I think in the future I see these courses being great for having private events. Yeah. So while Watopia is live, everybody's you know riding around the community. Maybe there's a race going on on Richmond. It's a great race course. For that purpose, it's perfect, right? It was designed for that. Um, so you know Richmond probably will never go away, but it might be used in a different way than it is today. Interesting. Interesting. What are the 
top three things that stop you doing things as fast as you want to do them? I think it's only one thing, and that is the ability to find game programmers. Right. It's the top issue stopping it. So I've heard some, uh, some talk on some of the previous SwiftCasts about, you know, why is the... Why does product development seem to have slowed down? First of all, I don't think that it has necessarily. I think we're just adding smaller things. Um, you know, if you're building a car, you would notice when like the windshield gets installed or we add wheels and like, oh, wow, cool. The wheels are finally here for the car. But now we're adding like cup holders and uh, seat stitching and, you know, little things here and there. And there's lots of them. But, you know, it's not like a core of the product is entirely missing and just shows up one day. There's still thousands and thousands and thousands of people experiencing this for the first time ever. It's new. The whole thing is new to them. We might as well keep making it better, more polished. Um, there's so many obvious improvements to make. I mean, literally hundreds of things on the list to do. But, but let's go back to this difficulty recruit, recruiting programmers. I mean, Game programmers. Game programmers. I've, I've spent a lot of time this afternoon speaking to people from right across the company, um, none of whom give the appearance of having been tortured or coached into saying the right things. And the one thing they've all said is that they really like working here. And if you spend 10 minutes in this office, you can see what a fantastic space it is in an amazing part of the world. So why can't you get people to work here in the roles that you want them to work in? The hard part is getting them to talk to me. As soon as they talk to me, they get it. I can sell them on the vision. They understand that it's a real video game team working on a piece of software that they can feel proud about. Before that, you know, imagine that um, the four places trying to hire you are you know, working on a PlayStation 4 game, or they're working on Call of Duty, or it's Google you know, VR headset. I mean, this is what we're up against in, in Los Angeles. Uh, they know those are serious games with serious people there. Often sports titles are kind of looked upon as like something that, that are not that desirable in games. And I think they see it as just another one of those kind of, you know, annual sort of like Madden is a, is a popular game here in the United States, a football game or baseball games or whatever, just kind of yearly churn out more, more stuff. Once they realize it's not that, and that we have a proper team of video game developers, it's done. They're, we are, you know, one of the top places they want to work at, just from the culture, the product, the you know, the fact that rather than, you know, making a game where you're shooting hundreds of people uh, or crashing cars into, you know, police officers or whatever the popular games are these days, you're you're actually having a, a bit of a benefit on society and making people healthier. That in combined with, you know, all the, the, the standard trappings of game development, graphics and, you know, gamification, the, the same fun stuff is there. Once they see that, it's, it's great. Just getting them to talk to us is the hard part. Or, or, or is it that the kind of people you're looking to attract are seduced by the greater sophistication of 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 the top title games really because because i mean you know we all love Zoo. we all love swift you know but in terms of game complexity compared to some of the very very big top titles you know it's 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 relatively simple isn't it yeah so it's that's a double edged sword so in on on one hand 
some people like the idea of working on the top game of the year, right? I mean, Call of Duty is going to sell a billion dollars worth. Uh, the downside is you're part of a team of 700 developers or you know, some five to 700 people, and you're one tiny cog in the machine. Here, you know, some of, the peop- some of those people would actually rather work here because right now we're five or six programmers, right? You can make a huge impact and you're going to be able to work on almost anything across the across the board and it's not it's very much not specialized knowledge here we want generalists that can kind of get their hands dirty with with everything are you are you close to solving this problem i think every day that uh another you know news article comes out or you know when when we announced they would raise some funds i mean part of that we don't necessarily do that to, to brag, right? We're not trying to brag about raising money. We're trying to raise our profile and attract attention. And things like that have helped make us more of a viable place to apply for the, for these game programmers. Because we're not really in that games world and we're not really trying to be. But we need those, we need the people from the games industry to, to help us out. So we've got to up our game a little bit. Okay, let, let's, let's move on. Are you opposed to racing on Zwift? Do you think the platform is just unsuitable for any kind of respected form of racing? Respected? That is an interesting word that you chose to add there. Uh, legitimate is a word that I would mm. would use. And I think it's difficult to have legitimate racing across the internet, given the various devices that are out there, even if everybody was properly calibrated, if somebody wanted to take the racing seriously, they would be upset. It's just not, it's not necessarily a game of skill like most video games are, right? In most video games, you can choose when you're going to press a button. You can turn left or turn right. You can, there, there's a lot of skill involved. Here, it's just whatever power number, whatever equipment you have can generate is going to, it's sort of going to make you, make you the win. It's a bit of strategy, but a lot less than a typical game. So it's much more reliant on hardware calibration than any other sort of competitive video game. So I think the fun races on Zwift are fine, but when partnered with some of these um, kind of third parties that have, that have popped up to help validate some of the racing, I think it can work. That's a lot of that's a lot of work these guys are are putting in, and it's it's much appreciated. But to be fair, it's easier for them to say, "Hey, you're disqualified," than it is for us to say that to a paying customer. Yeah, sure, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you have the reputation of being anti-racing, or maybe anti-racing is too strong. Not believing the platform as it currently stands is an appropriate place for racing to take place that you can believe in. That's, you know, something around that form of words. But the thing is, John, you know, human nature being human nature, people want to race on Zwift. I mean, they really do. I mean, you've, you've only to look at, you know, the, the, the size and the passion of the racing community to see that people really do want to use Zwift for racing. So given that, does that not bring some kind of responsibility for, for you and Zwift to try to do as much as you can to facilitate racing on Zwift. We, I mean, there are, you know, there are a few things you could do to help racing on Zwift. Sure, we've got a whole list. One of the things we've done is uh, add race results, which is the most accurate timing you can get. We'll probably continue to build on those. We're adding real-time 
placings while you're in an event. It'll show you exactly what place you are, which is currently impossible with the current way that the, uh, the networking system works. We'll probably expose better tools to some of those third parties so that they can have a better handle on uh, validating racers. Um, but it, you know, in short, it's like five to eight percent of the users do races. So it's not. We're probably, in that respect, we might even be giving it more than five to eight percent of our attention, given the percentage that do race on Zwift. So I'm not against it, but I don't want Zwift to be known as a, a racing game. It's much more than that. So that's where we're trying to be careful. It, it can be a place you can do a race, and as long as you understand it's for fun, it's great. Like, I've, I've been in one of these, and it was fun, even though I got annihilated, uh, and I know not to take it that seriously. Kind of related. Um, esports, uh, I mean, we've seen this, this Las Vegas event, and there is, you know, a big history around people watching other people playing video games that you see could be a possibility that model could be stretched to people watching other people racing on Swift. You you could see how it could possibly work because the validation issues are are taken care of. Have you put any thinking time into that? Do you have a view? I haven't put much time thinking about it, but I I feel like it might be a bit early. I think we're still trying to convince people they want to ride inside much less watch other people ride inside. With a lot of the the gaming that people watch, they were already playing the game and they didn't need convincing that gaming was a, a viable thing or a fun thing even. And without experiencing it, you might not even understand that it's real competition, right? You, you know, if you play some of these games as a, as a user, you understand like, wow, this is, you know, this is really truly a game of skill and I respect these people that are winning all the time and then that might make you want to watch other people play on on uh, the internet or tv or whatever with zwift we're still trying to get people to understand that they want to ride their bikes inside so that feels like a problem that has to be solved before we're going to convince people they want to watch this other people riding their bikes inside. yeah yeah there's a kind of active branch of, of Zwift Kremlinologists, you know, those kind of addicts and uh, analysts um, uh, who talk about, you know, uh, things that often prove to be myths and rumours. I mean, one of those is that you never thought group riding on Zwift would be a thing. Is that true? I don't think that's true because at the at the start, like I said, that we knew this is one of the three modes. Yeah, it's one of the three main ways that people are going to ride together. So it wasn't it wasn't the thing that I was going to build when it was just me, because I think I've said before, but like one man can't make a an MMO, right? A massively multiplayer online product. So it wasn't really even on the table for me. Not to mention it wasn't how I rode my bike anyway. It's really Eric that brought uh, the means, first of all, uh, to turn it into something that could even support group rides. And also the the experience to say, you know, we need to do group rides. He actually took me on some group rides in some of his uh, old neighborhoods in New York. And, uh, of course, I got 
dropped. But <laughs> everybody gets yeah, dropped yeah. on crash. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I enjoyed it, and uh, I could certainly see how it fit into the products. So I don't know if it's fair to say I mean, it's probably before before I ever met the other co-founders. I would I would have said like, yeah, maybe that's not a thing. Have you become more persuaded now that the group rides are? A big attraction of Swift, the, the, the you know the ability to ride with other cyclists from all over the world at any time that suits you more or less. Um, more than a couple of years ago, no, I think, yeah, I'm, it's working out. I think how we expected. I think it could probably be even bigger, and we have some exciting enhancements. I think coming to group rides. So I've got a pretty long list of things that will be coming to group rides. Uh, some of those are specific to races. Some of them are not. So. Okay. Shall we just not waste any time? And I'll just ask you straight. Are you going to tell me any of those things? Throw us a few bones. Well, okay. So, you know, I, I did mention for racing, we'll have the real-time race placings. Another one is you'll probably be able to see other subgroups within a race if you want. Uh, we'll also have ability to only show your people in your event. So it's more like a private event. And you're not going to have um, people off the front drafting off randoms in the world for so effectively close course racing yes yeah other people will see the races people yeah. that aren't in the event will see yeah. the pack go by because i think there's a i think it's a neat moment yeah as a, as a zwifter to see a race go by features like that are coming those are things people have asked for we've been listening i think it helps races and group rides non-race feature one might be the ability to i think we've we've talked about this before but the ability to have the workout mode at the same time as an event and this could be led by a coach so there could be you know there, there's actually coaches on Swift right now that get a bunch of their clients on and they do a ride together they could actually be synchronized doing a, the same workout at the same time in the same world riding together and it you know all sets off a certain time that's scheduled on the calendar so people are going to like that how many sports will be in the Zwift world in five years' time? That's a good question. So cycling is what we're most passionate about, and that is what we're concentrating on. We're obviously tinkering with mm. running, and uh, a lot of the gym equipment manufacturers has been contacting us saying mm. like, hey, do you know the, um, you know, the stair stepper machine is gonna start broadcasting data, and the elliptical, and the skier, machine and the rower and you know to a certain extent i think in the gym it would be kind of cool to go from machine to machine and have one you know session where it records all of your efforts i think it just depends on on how well the first couple of sports go uh, we know that we're we know that we understand cycling and we're going to continue to improve that so it, it's either going to be one sport or it's going to be a dozen so cycling and running we, we clearly are committed to cycling it looks like you're committed to running what what would be the next one that you think will be most likely? I mean, you know, rowing looks obvious. Yeah, I think rowing would probably be number three. Interest, interest. I mean, do you think Zwift has? I mean, it's certainly, it's 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 beyond doubt that it's revolutionised the the trainer industry, the turbo trainer industry. Do you think that wave is now rippling out to other other gym? Uh, other exercise machine manufacturers and, and, and could it have the same kind of effect? Cycling, it makes a lot of sense that uh, we've sort of driven the need for a smart trainer. You know, we can feel the terrain. With running, it feels less critical, but already 
I think some of the treadmill manufacturers are starting to say like, okay, you can control incline if you want. No, they're all still very hesitant about controlling speed. So I'm not sure we'll, we'll get that anytime soon. But a lot of the other sports aren't really, it's not like when you're rowing, you all of a sudden hit mud mm. or anything. It's, it doesn't make sense in a lot of the other mm. sports. So I'm not sure we'll have the same impact on the hardware with the other sports. I, I think the effect we're having is that we're accelerating the rate that equipment is becoming connectable. Yeah. Yeah. So and that'll be good for you know all software developers. Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not yeah. just Swift. Yeah, um, we'll see what comes of it. The Zwift community a heavy burden or a fountain of inspiration? It's certainly not a burden. I have pretty thick skin and I'm used to <laughs> consumer you know, I put out consumer products and games for, for almost twenty years now, so I'm not too bothered. I get that sometimes things are broken and people are angry and it's you know that's just how things go. Uh, so this is overwhelmingly the most positive community, I think, of any product I've ever worked on. So it's definitely a fountain of inspiration, to use your words. And the other people at this company, from uh, QA to customer service, they're all saying the same thing. They've all worked at various places, not all games, but customer-facing operations at other companies. And they're all surprised with just how positive the community is and how excited they are. And it's very refreshing. And how important is the community to, to the company? You know, in, and, and, and let's, let's look at this in kind of brutal, cold heart terms. If, if, if in five years' time, Swift has an IPO and floats on the public stock markets, let's just say, I'm not, nobody's saying it's going to happen, but let's just say it did, would the, would the community be something that appears in those 960-page you know, offer documents as something that is an integral part of the business? It's certainly integral to the, to the business, whether or not it would be in the documents or not, I, I have no idea. Before we launched our first beta, before we launched Jarvis Island, we were sort of almost sleepless at night thinking like, how are we going to build this community? Because we knew we had to have it. And soon after the, that first beta went live, the community just built itself magically. So this thing that we knew we had to have and we were stressing about just appeared. <laughs> and, uh, and so we've, we've been very grateful and we haven't, you know, we put a, we try to make appearances on there and talk about, you know, answer questions or address concerns or, you know, I don't think there's that many companies where you'll find the CEO or the, the various co-founders like chatting with customers on a weekly basis, but it's critical to the business. And uh, I think it's critical to keeping everybody here excited about it as well. Like, you know, good or bad, the, the people talking about it help get us excited to come to work every day as well. If okay. nobody was using it, we would like our job much less. Yeah. There are rivals to Zwift. I mean, there's a pretty ropey-looking kind of Chinese copy, and, and Rogue Grand Tours looks as though it's had a little bit more thought put into it. Do, uh, this obviously was always going to be inevitable. Does does it worry you at all? It doesn't worry me too much, but we, we definitely keep our uh, eyes open, and we try the various products out, and, you know, of course we were expecting... We knew if we got any sort of success, there would be um, somebody trying to come up with something similar. Uh, so, you know, it doesn't keep us up at night, but we, we definitely pay attention to it. I mean, presumably the huge advantage of Zwift is you've built the community or the community has built itself. You've got first mover advantage. You've got critical mass for a social riding experience. You've got 
people to ride with, which is good because it makes it social. Whereas, you know, certainly one of the, I mean, I know it's very early days for the other rivals, but, but you know, as a social experience, it's, it's a, you know, it's a non-event because everybody's on Zwift. I mean, presumably that gives you quite a big advantage in fighting off rivals or just keeping them at bay. It's, I mean, it's not only, that is a huge advantage we have, but it's not only that. We, even if we had zero users, we have the most complete product at the moment. So we would probably gain the users quicker and get into that spot. Currently, we have, uh, you know, a couple of advantages. We're going to try to keep it that way. And I mean, that's our job is to try to stay ahead. Right on! Okay, let's do a couple of really, really specific things that um, people in the community have asked me to cover. It's not, no, it's not quite yes, no, but I, I think it's, it's probably stuff that needs a bit less kind of context, maybe. Platform expansion. After iOS, including Apple TV, we know Android is coming. What about, and this, this does get asked a lot, what about games consoles? Ever? Never? Not interested? You know, where? Where? might you go on that if anywhere a year and a half ago we had a serious conversation with sony about um you know if we should bring it to the playstation and at the time we decided to do ios instead i think that was the right choice i think for our type of product it's less critical that it's on a game console uh so i don't i don't see game consoles being a as with platform in the near future. Course choosing by users. I mean, you know, God knows how how often this comes up. You know, it comes up, you know, very nearly on a daily basis, or at least there was a point when it did. But, you know, it will not go away. Um, and we know what, 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 what the rationale is, is that we don't want to dilute the experience. So if you are going to permit users to choose the course without using an illegal hack... What would be the tipping point for making that happen? All right, so there's a few things. Uh, I like I like the use of illegal hack. Uh, <laughs> good good word choice. Uh, we put that out there in plain text format, and we knew people would figure out how to change the world, and that's that's uh, a okay by me. But one of the issues was simply technical. The 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 game had been built, the idea that it loads the world, and then that's the world. So on iOS we finally built the tech to handle level swaps. And you might notice if you're at the title screen on iOS or iPad, or sorry, iPhone and iPad, that as soon as that clock ticks over, unloads the world you're on and switches to the next the next world. So I have a lot of analytics behind the scenes to let us know how successful that swap was. And when we first launched iOS, it was something like 80% of the time it worked and 20% of the time it would result in a crash sometime later. Right. within hours of riding. And this is when the world is scheduled to change according to the Zwift Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Now it's down to, I think, 99% crash-free after a level swap. As soon as we get to 100%, that feature can be used in any way we want. Level swapping is then a thing that can just happen at any moment. There's no risk of uh, messing things up. Uh, and so, you know, in the summertime, it, it probably isn't a good time to, to launch that because, you know, numbers are lower generally when people are riding outside and it might dilute it a bit much. But the first time you might see it is going to be in those private group rides that I alluded to earlier where we might have a, uh, a race on Richmond, right? So you might load up into Watopia, you pick your event, you ride around, maybe even warm up in whatever world you're in. As soon as you say you want to go to the event, it switches to that world, there you are. 
Okay. Uh, so it's coming, and uh, you know, I look at it every couple of weeks. Every time we actually ship an iOS update, it has more and more changes to kind of iron out the the rough edges at the level swaps. Uh, so there's been some, you know, to, to PC and Mac users, there's been benefits to the iOS version. Mm. Uh, it's forced our hand in, a, in in certain places, and we also get very good data back about what's causing crashes, which has made the PC and Mac much more stable. Great question um, from Janine Huffman, but but asked by loads of people. I mean, she, she sums up by saying, am I forever condemned to a mullet hairstyle? Avatar customization. Um, Colin Pierman asked the same question, mostly in jest, but, you know, there's a serious point there. Any plans to weaponize the avatars? Um, the point being, people want more customization and have done for ages. I mean, is it coming? Facial hair is coming. <laughs> I can say that much. A lot of stuff is coming. Facial hair is coming very, very soon. Uh, different hair colors, different hairstyles. We have some pretty scary looking bearded guys now riding around uh, here at, at Zwift in our test build. So it's actually, um, the art has been scheduled and it is almost done. And then we're just going to be down to programming. I can, see I can see it getting built upon in the future. Maybe we go with like, I don't, I don't know what kind of things people are going to ask for down the road, but I watch some of these races and I see a cycles like kiss his necklace as he crosses the line. I, you know, maybe there's yeah. accessories like that. We end up adding one day and, you know, cyclocross season comes around and everybody's got the knee high socks for, mm -hmm. for women's cyclocross at least. So it could be things like that we do. Certainly more is coming for the running avatars as well. They're pretty much just stuck in cycling kit at the yes. moment. Which is great. It was okay for the triathletes a little bit, but uh, not optimal for, for everybody else. Um, running, I mean, you, you, you've just raised it there. How much, how soon, how big, how detailed? Running is a, it's a little bit of an experiment for us. We want to see if we can make running on a treadmill a bit more compelling. With cycling, it was easy. There's so many... There's so many social components to riding. People often ride in groups. There's a lot of data generated from riding that might be interesting to the user. Um, you can type on a keyboard while riding indoors. You can't really do that when you're running. Uh, so there's interesting challenges. As for how soon, it's hard to say. We don't, like I said, we're focused on cycling. And so it's sort of like a bit of a side project for us to work on running. But um, I would expect to see running workouts, structured running workouts soon, where it's telling you what pace you should be doing and having a test uh, and then training plans soon after for, you know, half marathons and 10Ks and, and all that. I think that'll be sort of key. Uh, and around the same time, you'll probably see the, the ability to have a running event, right? A mass start 5K run. So quite quite significant development quite, quite soon. It's, it's not it's, going to be left dangling in beta for like, Ages and ages and ages with nothing happening. No, we're going to, really it's going to stay in beta until those two, you know, the workout mode comes online and then the event support is there. At that point, we'll, we'll see how it goes. We're not, um, we're not counting on it being huge, but we're certainly hoping that it, it helps. And I, I think it'll, even if it doesn't become big, I think the triathlete community will appreciate it. Will we ever be able to steer in Zwift? Now, I know technically it's not, terribly terribly difficult it's more of a it's more of a should we steer in swift or should we have steering enabled in swift that could be enabled say for racing only or you know is it could it ever be an option that you are able you are likely to present to the user base as something they might choose to do or not to do i feel like the answer is yes that it will become 
available at some point, but it's got to be in some uh, in some way that's fair to the people that aren't using mm. steering. So maybe there's uh, we might try it out in a different game mode where it's uh, who, who knows maybe it's mountain biking or something, right? Mountain biking, you're required to have the steering input, whatever that may be. I think that might work as a starting point to see how many people want to go through the effort. Uh, if you use Mobile Link, uh, Zwift Mobile Link, our companion app, it actually is sending steering data to us, oh, really? uh, and has been for years. It uses the, the gyroscopes in the phone or the device. So, assuming so the phone it, is, what ass- is mounted on a assuming the phone is mounted on your handlebars, it's actually been sending us steering since the I think since the day it launched, uh, because it was one of the things that that we had been experimenting with. And, and again, even before we founded the company here, I had built a joystick that I was using for my my home version of all this, right? It was a just a thing that sat under my front wheel. So the, the trick is, you know, right? And we can't count on all of our users wanting to even deal with steering. Uh, so it's, it's gonna be an interesting thing, right? If you could pick your line in a race and 80% of the, racers were not picking their line they might get upset it's a condition of entry to that race that you enable steering yeah but then you might not be racing the fastest guys and you've just now segregated this these crowd of people that are used Mm -hmm. to racing together it it's it's a bit tricky but i I do think we'll introduce it in some way at some point it it adds a an extra level of of interaction. I've said it. I've said it before, but we we get one number like once a second or once every half second. We don't get a lot of input from the user, and we have to make this entire yeah. simulation that people see on the screen just from one power number, yeah. which is often delayed a yeah. second or two. And we're trying to have these huge pelotons riding around through beautiful landscapes based on this on this one number. So having two numbers would be great. Really quick fire section because. Um, I have kept you for, for ages. What's happened to G Master? He worked hard over the summer and got got the six-month sort of winter period off. I don't know where he went to, but uh, I suspect he'll be back as the the weather is uh, warming up. Now that we've got, you know, slightly lower numbers, we'll probably get him back on there and, and fill the world a little bit with some, some AIs. He's the boss of the blue guys, so right. if he's there, blue guys are there. Bellodrome, yes or no? You don't have to say when. Yes or no? Probably not anytime soon. Average power and or average heart rate in the heads-up display. I mean, this just comes up time and time and time and time again. Yes, yes or no? Or are you just worried about putting too much data in that in that banner? I think having too much data is something we're concerned about in the, in the heads-up thing. Post ride, we do show. Mm things like average power. And I think that's where it actually matters the most. I've done a lot of training and I, I'm not sure that um, a running average power is actually that useful because usually you've warmed up or you've done an interval and you've rested. Like it's, it's uh, for a whole session to see while you're riding, I'm not sure it's totally relevant, um, but I'm certainly open to be convinced otherwise. Levels beyond 25, John when uh, well they are coming <laughs> the uh the feature that they've been blocked on has been pushed back i don't know eight times right and uh maybe this is the year 
<laughs> we, we will uncork the levels regardless. Uh, I mean, we're still earning points, aren't we? Everybody's still earning points. Okay. Uh, we're still building things that will be rewards. Yeah. Uh, we're building up quite a nice library of items and, and stuff, but we're going to change how it works. And rather than have people at level 50 get rolled back and feel like they maybe missed out, we're just stopping it there and then we'll we'll change how things work a little bit. And, and uh, I think it's for the better. Voice. Yes or no? Yes. Soon. Uh, let's, uh, I'll, I'll give you a season. Maybe it's the summer. Kicker on air. Uh, no comment. A very wise answer. Do you listen to the Swiftcast and do you rage at what we say because we're so often speculating utterly inaccurately? How many angry emails have I sent you? <laughs> I think I don't it's think you've sent any. I think it's zero. So I do listen to the Swiftcast. I think I've probably missed a total of two episodes uh, over the time. Like I said, I have pretty thick skin. I think it's I think it's good that you guys say what you're going to say. Uh, you know, we're not we're not putting tape over your mouth, right? And I think mm. that comes mm, that comes through on the Zwiftcast. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely, and that's very true. It's, and it's it kind of important that that people understand that. Very last question. Tell me something I should have asked. I didn't hear you ask uh, what kind of donut I liked. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I gave you my best answers anyway. I, you know, you don't need to bribe me with a donut. But for the record, it's jelly-filled. <laughs> right on! John, thank you very much. You, you have been incredibly generous with your time, particularly as it's the end of the working day. Um, and I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. I'm sure the listeners will be too. Thank you very much, John. Yeah, I appreciate it. Enjoy talking with you every time. That's it, Zwifters, for this episode. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with John and agree with me that it provided some real insight into how he works and what goes on at Zwift. While I was there, I took the opportunity to get lots of interviews with lots of other backroom staff, and they had lots of interesting things to say. So look out for those on forthcoming episodes. Thanks very much for listening. See you next time. 